Welcome to the ninth week of 10th Region Weekly with the Stay Hot Podcast, along with Evan Dennison. We have who I refer to as Mr. March, kind of like baseball has uh, Mr. October. Uh, the 10th Region has Mr. March and Coach Eric Russell. And Coach, thanks for joining us tonight after a big Bengals win. I see your hat there. So, uh, day to the Bengals, and thanks for taking time away and joining us tonight. Yep, day, guys, and it's always fun talking to you, too. Coach, you know, like Patrick said, thanks for coming on. I know it's uh, been an exciting day for, for the Bengals fans. But, you know, we want to talk about your program and you guys and, uh, you know, what's building up for, you know, a stretch run here with three weeks left in the regular season. And then, you know, obviously, you know, the time to shine in the postseason. So, uh, you know, here we are. You guys had a big week, you know, won three, three games last week, it looked like. And uh, another close one was Scott. So, you know, what are you liking about this team? You guys seems like you're kind of maybe turning the corner here as we hit the uh, home stretch of the season. Yeah, I, I, you know, we always have tough games with Scott. Coach Frommer always has a good game plan. And and their kids, it's just like we play them or Brossard. Those kids are going to come out and play uh, their hearts out. And uh, I felt like our kids did as well. We didn't play great, but did, did the things down the stretch to win that game. Um, I like how we've had such a tough schedule going into now. And we're starting to starting to put the pieces together. Right now, this young team just needs to learn how to win. And I think being able to pull that game out with at uh, versus Scott was big for us. Yeah, I mean, you, you talk about learning how to win. Just this season alone, you know, nine games already decided by seven points or less. And, you know, those yeah. games are obviously coming down to your final possession or two and into the final yeah. minute. So – how much do you think that helps now here as, as we kind of hit the home stretch and, and get closer to the postseason? You know, I think it's definitely going to work for our, for our advantage a little, not advantage, but for our good to get better because, um, you know, yeah, I would love to pull out some of those close ones, but then again, um, not that I ever want to lose a game, but you got to learn from every, every loss. And like I said, they're learning how to win. They've never, really been in this situation before not even our three juniors that or even Aiden and Daz who they never had to be dependent on as much as they are now so they're learning as well and um they've had to face you know kind of a trial by fire this season and and they're starting to figure it out a little bit and they're starting to believe in what we're telling them with our system and, and that it works you know I've told them it's there's been a lot of good players that believed in what we do and it works so believe us and I think they're starting to realize um the stuff we're coaching and tell them um will help them down the stretch you know you, you talk about Des Davey and you know his his position these days it, it seems rare you know it's it's rare we find a back to the basket true post player a guy that lives off offensive rebounds defensive rebounds and rebounding you know is he maybe more comparable and this might not be fair, but is he more comparable to maybe a Matt Wilson or like a Reed Jolly or, you know, you've, you've had some very talented big guys and, you know, Reed was probably a little bit maybe more where he could extend the floor, but where yeah. does he maybe compare to the guys that you've had in the past that are like, you know, those true post players. Yeah, He kind of falls. It, it's funny. You, you mentioned those two. He falls in between those two. Mm -hmm. uh, he can play with his bas back to the basket Des can actually step out and hit a three when he when he's open. We let him shoot it. Um, he actually surprisingly handles the ball decent, um, which Matt didn't do as much. Matt was more of a dominant inside presence, like 
the dominant big man that you get the ball down. And Dez, Dez can be that, but he's got a little bit more to his game as far as that, and he's not as big as Matt, obviously. And then Reed could just do a whole lot more. Like, Dez doesn't have some of those skills that Reed had, but but he's a nice player, and, and, and again, he's, he's a kid that I – I work with every single day after practice, me and him just work on some things. And um, he really is a good kid and he listens and he wants to get better and he's getting there. He's not there yet, but he's getting there. Coach, I remember uh, last season when we came to Campbell County, me and you were talking before the game and you told me um, you felt like your sophomore group, which was last year, so it would have been Aiden and them, two years, you felt like they could really contend for a regional title. Do you feel like they're progressing as quickly as you want? Do you feel like they've progressed this season to where they're still on track next year to contend for that regional title? Because I know they're a very talented group. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. We we just started playing uh, Garen Jackson, who's a – it's uh, Casey Jackson's little brother. He's a freshman. And we just started using him, starting him. And he is a pure point guard. I'd say since Joel Day, we haven't had a pure point guard. And he's that. And so – us throwing him into the lineup and getting him ready is definitely going to help because we're going to have all five starters back next year. And, and again, we got these young guys that we're playing and nothing against our two seniors. Those two work hard for me, but these younger guys are kind of like the future of what we're looking at to hopefully make a run. Um, I'm not counting them out for this year. Obviously uh, GRC's loaded. And I mean, we all know that it, they're, they got a special team. So it'd take a special special night to beat them. So I mean, but you never want to count your guys out. And uh, so we're just taking one game at a time, and hopefully, um, you know, make a little noise in March, like you said. But definitely excited about bringing everybody back for next season. Coach, you also got a big week. Uh, your district game, I think, here on Tuesday with Calvary. I think that'll probably decide. You know, the one seed, if Calvary were to win, and maybe they went out against Brosser later in the week. Uh, Calvary's one of those teams who, you know, at media day, they've talked about how they want to be respected. They want to be, you know, on the map. They want to be talked about. Um, how do you feel about that matchup going in? I know it's at Calvary, and Calvary's a tough place to play. Yeah, I agree. I, I, you know, they they beat Scott. Scott just took us to, to the brink the other night, and so – Calvary's going to be tough, and, and they want to beat us. They want to beat us really bad. They've knocked off Scott, and they've knocked off Brossard, but they haven't got us yet. So they want to get us, but I think the kids are ready, and we're going to go in there with a good, solid game plan and realizing it's a huge game to get that one seed locked up. Even though our district's a little screwy right now, you still want to go in with the one seed. So, Yeah, I'm not 100% sure that you all truly have a four seed in that district. Um, yeah. You all got a tough district, and generally the two that advance to the regional tournament earn it, and that may be why you guys have such success in the regional tournament because your guys' district is so hard. Yeah, I don't think – I agree totally. It's been tough all these years, and the fact that we've been able to win eight in a row is just – that boggles my mind with this, these teams. I really – I seriously, when I think about it sometimes, like how in the heck have we done that? <laughs> but uh, you're right. Now, I don't think our district – as far as top to bottom is compared to some of the others is that strong this year as far as that, but as far as uh, comparing us four, it's pretty tight as far as, you know, our district. So that part of it is very tight. And um, yeah, in the past, the districts has definitely prepared us to get into the region and play. 
You know, I'll go back to the Scott game real quick. Aiden Hamilton a dunk to win the game. I mean, yeah, that, that kid, he's, he's going to be a Division One baseball player. And just maybe in terms of athletes that you've coached over the years, I'm sure he's got to be up there as, as one of the top. Yeah, I love Aiden. He he works hard. He's a great kid. He listens, does what we ask him to do. And he had a tough night as far as Scott was really playing physical with him, um, chasing him all over the floor. Um, we were getting the ball to him down low, and he was kind of missing some shots, partly because of how physical it was. And then he shakes all that off and comes up with that big play at the end. And uh, Keegan Hill made a great pass to him. We actually flattened the floor out to help hopefully get him to the basket. And I, I didn't expect his path to be as clear as it was, but uh, it was a nice, it was a nice way for him to bounce back. Cause he had missed a couple shots that I know he would want back and want to make. And it was, I, we said in the locker room, well, you made sure you made that one. Cause he threw that one down. It was nice. And then had what, 42 points the, the night before or a couple nights. Yeah. Before. Yeah. He's been, he's had some big ones, you know, and, and he's getting there too. You know, a lot of people, he's been starting for a lot of years, but he kind of got thrown in because people realize we lost that great team with Jolly and all them. I mean, we lost a ton of guys and we had to kind of rebuild and he was part of it and he's still learning, you know, and he's getting there. And, uh, you know, I think he could have a really special year finishing out the year, but also next year. I've said it multiple times, coach on this, as good as a basketball player as he is, it's mind boggling to me that he's going to play division one baseball. Yeah. And, you know, he hasn't totally ruled out if someone would talk to him about basketball. He hasn't totally ruled that out. Now, that'll be tough to turn down going to UK and play baseball. I mean, let's not be – let's not fool ourselves. But he loves basketball. So, he re- he really doesn't love it and uh, plays hard for us. Speaking of Jolly, I'll go back to him. Him and Garen Birch on that Thomas Moore team this year. They're top ten in the country, you know, in NAIA. They got a big win at Georgetown last week. How much do you follow those guys and, you know, how much uh, – how rewarding is that to see their success at that next level? Um, I look at every score every night they play. I look to see the box score, see how they're doing. I text them whenever I can, tell them how proud I am of them. And uh, I actually haven't got to get to a game this year. I told them I'm going to give it to one. But uh, it's awesome. Garen, we talked a little bit in the summer, and he said he was going to come back for that fifth year that they offered. Mm. And I was like, do it. I said, do it, man. Just enjoy it as long as you can. And then Reed, to me, Thomas Moore got a steal. Um, the kid is an absolute gamer. Um, I have coaches when they see him, like, around the country, give me a text and say, man, he is the baddest dude on the floor. I can't believe Thomas Moore got him. And uh, he's just a, he's just an awesome player. So it's fun seeing how good they're doing. And Thomas Moore, man, people act like, you know, oh, it's Thomas Moore. You know that they're in the NEI now, and they're they're playing some tough competition. And unless you've played in that, which when I played at Kentucky Christian, we played a lot of NEI teams. You don't realize how good that competition is, and and Reed's thriving in it. So I'm super proud of him and Garen both. And it was awesome seeing him get the thousand points on the same night, which is rare. Two Campbell County boys, and uh, always proud of our kids um, when they go from from us and our program and do things other places. Yeah, I mean, you talk I'm about lie, that. Coach, I'm pretty excited that uh, Justin Becker, who uh, one of my former players, is 
going to get the opportunity to go to Thomas More and learn from Reed. I know I've talked to him. I've tried, I've tried to get him to reach out to Reed, and I think he has, and Reed's been pretty helpful with him. And just being an overall good kid, and I know uh, – you know, Reed's a competitor, Reed's a gamer, he's a winner, uh, if nothing else. And I think Justin's going to be um, extremely benefited from the fact that he gets to play behind or with uh, yeah. Reed Jolly. Yeah, I agree. And I remember when you reached out to me and I, I did send Reed a text about Justin and he, we, I saw Reed at Christmas time uh, or right before the season was starting, actually around Thanksgiving time and Reed said he had spoken to Justin and they're excited to get Justin. And I think Justin being able to go to that program and everybody can't key on him with those guys that he's playing with, you know what I'm saying? So that's going to be fun to watch when he can go in there and show what he's got and not have four or five guys hanging on him every night. You know, he's been working in the weight room. He's been working in the weight room on his body, trying to get ready and trying to get strong. And, you know, I just know he's excited. And so if you see Reed, let him know we appreciate him, you know, and all the help he's provided, Justin, because it's been big for him. Yeah, I will do. And Reed, Reed always Reed, my son, my son, Jesse, still calls Reed the best teammate he's ever played with. He's just he's just that kind of kid, no matter how good he was he was even better of a teammate. And we try to tell our kids that like Reed Jolly bought into what we do. And there ain't none of you as good as him, <laughs> you know, and what he does are better. Like some of you could be, but if he can buy in, you can buy in. And that's kind of a nice chip to have to be able to play that card when you need to. That was a fun team coach. It really was. It was a fun run. And, you know, you guys were right there in a final four appearance and nothing to hang your guys' heads about. And, that was, that was a blast of a year. It really was. It was. That was a fun year. That's why um, yeah. Let's go back to this year a little bit. Um, just one or two more from me, and then I don't know what else PK might have for you. But uh, your schedule, you know, it's obviously made up of a lot of ninth region teams. You know, that obviously geographically fits you guys a lot better in terms of travel. What's maybe the biggest difference you see between the two regions? Because you, you play a lot of the top-tier ninth region teams, and, you know, you also play a lot of the top-tier tenth region teams. So what's maybe the difference in their style or – type of athlete um, between the two regions? Uh, it's it's a little different. Uh, when we won in 2010 at Newport, uh, I had to beat Ryle, who had just beaten Holmes, who were the state champs the year before. Right. And then I had to turn around and beat Cuffcath to get to the finals. And then I had to beat Holmes, who were – one of the teams picked to win the state and had beaten us by like 20 and then like 14, we had played them twice that season. And to come away with that, that was a gauntlet, but it's the same, you know, every once in a while in the 10th, you might get a first round game, not as hard, but then your second and third game, your second in the final is always going to be super hard. So both to me are very competitive. Um, you know, obviously you've got the cuff calf that, Gets a lot of players, um, so that's a tough one for the region. But just like we have GRC, same thing. So both are super competitive. Um, I feel like the 10th region, um, especially with some of the smaller schools, based it on a lot of shooting and scoring from the outside with you and, and getting to the basket and kind of things, whereas the 9th sometimes has – sometimes, not always, but has bigger athletic players sometimes. Um, and it's a different – as far as they, they, they shoot the ball and all that, but it's more of a, 
a balance of inside outside. Whereas, you know, like this year with the, with the Bracken County, you got these two kids that are just always putting pressure on your defense. And, and if they're shooting, man, it, um, it's a tough team to beat. I mean, we went out there and I didn't think we played great, but we didn't play horrible and had no answer really that night. So, um, I just think the ninth might have a few more like bigger schools, but, um, the 10th is right there with them. Um, people sometimes give us a bad rap. Like, like we don't have as many good teams, but I don't, I don't buy into that, man, because, uh, the teams in the 10th are relentless. They, they just get they get after you on defense. You got coaches um, scouting the heck heck out of you um, in the ninth too. Um, but it's just it's just a different animal. When I left the ninth and came tenth, I wasn't sure what to expect. And then then you realize this the tradition and the and the, and the the way that guys prepare and the kids are just the kids want to win and. You know, and we had a nice little run, but it's hard its hard to stay on top when you got teams gunning for you every night. So, um, both reasons are tough. But uh, for me, obviously, I guess I, I'm a little biased because I've been in it for the last 11, 12 years, but the 10th is a lot more fun. And I don't have to deal with Cuffcat ever, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I got I to gotta do the, uh, the elephant in the room or maybe it's beating the dead horse by now, but, uh, yeah. you know, how, how much are you guys looking forward to, uh, you know, going to play at homes in the region tournament and, you know, for you guys, I mean, obviously you got to get through your district first. I'm not kind of yeah. jumping the gun by any means, but if you guys are fortunate enough, yeah, your thoughts on, you know, maybe just a 10 or 15 minute bus ride compared to everything yeah. else, just the whole scenario. Yeah. So I get it, man. I get it as far as, the tradition of the field house and everything. But we, every four years, we got to go down to, to, to MoCo or, or GRC, you know, I think if we said we're going, we're going field house all four years and that's where we're having it. I think I'd be, cause I love it there. Obviously the field house has been great to us and I love field house. I remember when I was on Fro's podcast, I told Fro that's one of my favorite places to play, but I also said Holmes is one of my favorite places to play when I was a player. Yeah. Um, and for us, our kids having a chance to, you know, not have to travel so far, especially, I mean, I don't know if people realize when you play on that semifinal night, and especially if you get game two, yeah, and you got to bust all the way back. If Scott has to go back to Taylor Mill or I got to go back to, to Alexandria, and then you got to get your kids to school, you know, because they have to go to school to play. And then you got to try to figure it out and then get on the bus and you got to feed them. You know, I, I'm always buying subways and stuff and getting them all ready, making sure they eat at the right time. And then you got to get on the bus. And, I mean, literally make sure they go to the bathroom. And, I mean, a lot of different things you got to make sure they do before you play. And, it's, I mean, it's not easy, especially coming back on that second night. So, you know, why not let GRC drive all the way down here? Not – you know, let them take their turn. And and believe me, I love playing at the field house. I love it. Um, obviously, I have great memories, and I have one really bad memory. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, actually, two. But uh, I love it. But, you know, I think – and I know people are saying it's a ninth region school, but it's in Kenton County. It's, it's in Scott's, you know – 
County. And, and if we could have played the BB&T, I think we would have tried to work that out. But it was our next best place. You know, they had it there last year for the ninth region. And everybody I talked to said it was a great atmosphere. And I and for me, as growing up, I went to Campbell County, but we were ninth region when I played. And uh, I played my last game there in the region, you know, my last high school game. And I have fond memories of Holmes High School. Um, obviously, I had some real good battles with Holmes when I was at Newport. But, you know, I don't, I don't think it's going to be as bad as everybody thinks. And I get it, man, because I love the field house too. But it is a challenge for us being down here and having to go up there, especially on the back-to-back -back night. Coach, do um, any chance Campbell County builds a nice facility that can host the region here in the in the near future? Dude, I wish. You know, um, I saw – I think, Evan, you tweeted something out about uh, – it was mind-blowing, the gym that they built that we have right now. And it is to me, too. I'm not, I'm not going to pull any punches on this. It's ridiculous. I don't know who made that decision. Obviously – uh, when they built that building, I was in college at Kentucky Christian, so obviously I wasn't even around here. But I can remember thinking, why did they build this smaller than the gym that we were in when I played? You know, because mm -hmm. I played in the region in, in our middle school gym. Um, yeah. That's where I went to high school. And uh, my junior year, we lost to Holmes in the finals of the region. That was a year that we really thought we were going to win it. And, uh, you know, that was a great atmosphere. And why would you not build a gym – bigger than that one it's it's just i don't i don't know who was in charge at that time but uh if they could be fired we'd go back in time and fire them because that was a bad decision <laughs> like, like to hear well coach um i know you're excited about the Bengals, and i'm gonna let you go party with your group but i appreciate you coming on with us tonight and dedicating about 20 minutes of your time so you know i appreciate you hey guys i always appreciate you guys and uh you guys are the best and uh, hopefully I'll see you guys in person soon somewhere. Yes, sir. Thanks, Coach. All right, guys. Take care. Uh-huh. Well, Evan, I thought um, Coach Russell said something that uh, kind of maybe I knew, but I'd forgotten. But he definitely has earned the nickname Mr. March with me due to winning eight straight 37th district titles. You know, I think I'd heard that before, but I think it kind of slipped my mind. But in that district – with Scott, who has had some really good teams over the years, um, Brossert, who has really good teams over the years, and Calvary's had some good teams, maybe not as frequent as the other three teams in the district, but they've had some teams. They won an all-A in that time. Um, it just blows my mind what he's able to do and has his teams ready for the postseason and won eight straight in that district. I mean, he, he garners and earns all that respect, and it's, it's all earned, you know, from – what he's done with that program over the last decade is just, you know, um, I don't want to say unheard of because you, you you can see runs like that from other programs. But, you know, it's not like Campbell County was a traditional every year in the region final program. Um, you know, they had won – I think they won the 10th region in 2001 or 02, right in that range, and then didn't win again until, you know, Russell got there. And now they've got, you know, three or three, four four titles, I think, in that time frame um, over the well, last – if you would if you would tell me Mason County's won nine straight districts, it wouldn't be as mind blowing. They're in a district with three class A schools, right, you know. Right. But man, that district down there, and you know, and you could tell from talking to him that he wasn't a bit concerned 
you know, with his record. He knows he's played a tough schedule. You know, he admitted he never likes to lose. But all those games he's played that are close is setting them up and they're learning from to where they're capable of making a deep run. And he it's he arguably maybe has the best duo in the region between Davey and Hamilton. I mean, Hamilton can go for 40 on any given night. And Eric and Davis Davey's gonna get you a double double on any given night. And he's I think he's averaging right at that. So those two, you got Jake Gross's shooting. Uh, like he said, they put Garen Jackson in the lineup. He had a the game I saw him at Mason County, he had 11 points off the bench and a handful of assists and, you know, almost helped lead them to the victory in the second half. So. Well, I, se- I sense from him that he really likes his team. And, um, yeah. you know, and he said that, you know, don't count his team out this year, but he really thinks next year we're turning all five starters. Um, obviously, he mentioned how great GRC was. But if you go back and look at the first game of the year, now, granted, GRC and Campbell County, neither one were at their best the first game of the year, but GRC only beat them 11, I believe. Yeah, it was so. a game. Yeah, I mean, it was a six to eight point game for the majority, I think. And then, um, you know, GRC started pulling away a little bit toward the end. And you think maybe these close games that they're playing, if you look at GRC, they've played very few close games. You know, yeah. I know they, you know, great crossing tonight, one by nine. And I know down in, you know, the Louisville tournament or whatever, some of their lo- the loss or whatever, they've played maybe some close games. But Campbell County playing close games every night has to benefit them come regional tournament time. And I think you made the good point asking the question to him and just district tournaments alone. I mean, they're playing, you know, one or two grinders uh, and to get out of those games. And it just has you so much prepared um, for the region tournament. And, you know, what they can do this week, just, you know, kind of foreshadowing a little bit. They play Calvary Christian on Tuesday. They win that. They get the number one seed. And then, um, you know, a big matchup follows that when Calvary Christian plays Bishop Brossert. Where if Calvary wins that game, they would then get the two seed and Brossert would be the four. So, you know, like, like you said, I mean, then you'd be looking at a Campbell-Brossert first-round matchup, and that's that's no easy task when you when you face the Mustangs in, in tournament play and their style of play and their defense. And if you go back to that Final Four team, when they made it all the way to the Final Four at the Sweet 16, they only beat Brossert by like two points in that first round of the district tournament. So well, – well, the something else you got to think about, too, is, and it reminds me a lot of the Bracken Augusta games. I've been a part of a lot of those games where the best team don't always win because it's like a rivalry. Brossard and Campbell are like, what, five miles apart, four miles apart? They're both on 27. So it's kind of a, a county rivalry to where, you know, the best team doesn't always win in those because it's a rivalry. You know, you you kind of get pumped up, you get ready to go. and But, you know, this year in that district, I don't know who you would pick to play as the four. You know, if he had a hand pick the four, I don't know who he would pick. I mean, because I think all four of them are, like he said, from top to bottom this year, they may not be as good as they've been in the past. But when you compare just those four teams this year, they're pretty tight. And, you know, Coach Russell did a nice job. Appreciate him coming on. But um, I'm curious to see that game Tuesday with Calvary, and it'll give us a little better information on Calvary and where they stand. Yeah, I think if Campbell had their choice, they wouldn't want to play Scott because I think that's their true, true rival just based off success over the last decade between the two programs. And, you know, Scott's one of the only rare teams to be able to beat them, you know, during maybe the regular season. So I would say, you know, based off the last matchup that they played on Thursday, it was a two-point game, came down to the final shot. That's a team that they probably don't want to play as a four seed come, you know, the third week of February. And I think if people have listened every week, we've constantly talked about how we feel like Scott and their talent is way better than what they've played. 
I think they're starting to put it together now where they're playing some better games, more competitive games. And taking Campbell to a two-point game shows me that they have the ability um, that, you know, if I, I know if I was a, a district winner, winner this year, I'd be very scary or very scared to draw Scott in the first round if they were a runner-up in that district. I just yeah. think they have a lot of talent, and I think they're just going to put it together. Coach Fromar does a good job. You heard what all um, Coach Russell said about him. So um, that district's going to be tough. It's going to be fun to keep an eye on. But Coach Russell also complimented Bracken County very high and complimented their two guards and said that they just really didn't have an answer for him. They put a lot of pressure on your defense, and we know he's talking about Blake and Caden. But um, you were at the All-A State in Richmond this week. Uh, Bracken County um, did set, you know, program history. They won the first state game in Polar Bear history when they defeated Walton Verona. And, um, you know, we knew that game would be close. The uh, RPIs and Cantrells were very close and uh, went into overtime. And it seemed like Bracken County made more plays down the stretch. And um, just those those guys, uh, Coach Reed's got them refusing to lose, if you will, or, you know, playing with that chip or that edge to where they don't think they're going to lose. I mean, the, what a two games. I mean, the Harlan game and the Walton Verona game, uh, probably the two best games in the whole tournament, and they were parts of that. And the Walton game was a was a heck of a battle. I mean, they had built a 14-point lead there in the third quarter. They came out firing out of halftime. And then, uh, you know, Walton Verona showed its toughness with Brant Smithers, who was basically unstoppable in the fourth and overtime. Carter Croman hit some huge shots for them, but it was just uh, – I mean, it would cut, they would, Walton Verona would come down and hit three, Blake Reed come right back down and hit a three. You know, they, they'd get an and one, Bracken would go down and hit a big bucket. Like, it was just, you know, a, a knockdown, drag out, great battle. And at the end, it came from an unsung hero, Peyton Gilvin, with the, uh, you know, steal off a rebound and a layup in the final 20 seconds. And then he gets the rebound on the other end off two free throw attempts hits a free throw on the other end, and then gets the game-winning steal. So, what a great moment for him. And, and I don't and I think it could happen to a better kid. You kind of stole what I was going to say after I was going to say that I was kind of happy for uh, Peyton Tully or how he um, gets to gets to have that moment. You know, we as coaches and players, we always dream of those type of moments and being a part of it, and hats off to Peyton. You know, he does a lot of the dirty work. Coach Reed often praises him. You know, he kind of – he has to play bigger than he is because of the size. And um, a lot of teams have bigger guys. And Peyton's got to be the one to kind of wall up, body up, and defend them on the post. And he just plays with a lot of heart, a lot of toughness. And um, I'm glad he got that moment. But uh, I mean, that first night, their supporting cast really stepped up. And, and, and some of those guys had their moments where I think the Harlan game is, is where they just they needed to get a little bit something extra from, from anyone outside of, of Blake or Caden. And um, outside of maybe a stretch where Garrett Reynolds, I think, had six points in the second quarter against Harlan. They just didn't get much elsewhere. And, uh, I mean, I know some of those guys' roles isn't even scoring. Like with Austin Norton, he had four or five steals in the first half in that game alone. And that kid just, just everywhere defensively. And, and you need guys like that. And, I mean, even Peyton Gilvin buys into his role. He said, I want to be the Dennis Rodman of this team. And it's very rare you get high school kids to say that these days. And when you get kids to buy into their roles like that, that makes a team even more dangerous, knowing that, what they have to go in there and do instead of being the guy, the glamour guy with all the points or whatever, they, they want to go in there and do the dirty work. Well, and I think a lot of that is attributed to Coach Reed. And I know I've talked to him about, you know, just about how he approaches 
you know, get these guys to buy into their role. And a lot of that coming from coaches is a hard conversation with players. You got to be upfront and honest with them and say, hey, you can help us. But the way you help us is by rebounding, taking charges, um, defending. Um, you're not going to score 20 points a game. And sometimes that's a hard conversation for kids to have. But um, Peyton seems to have bought in and he's excelling in his role. And not to knock on Devontae Jefferson, because I watched the Harlan game and he just had some bad luck. Um, some makeable shots just didn't drop. Um, you know, just, you know, I really felt bad for the kid. He'd make good move, get to the rim, and the ball would roll out. And, you know, we know as basketball players we have those moments. But, you know, you talk about how they needed that third score. Devontae's usually that guy. You know, he's usually pushing double figures because he gets to the rim and he finishes. He can knock down the open shot. But, uh, you know, I really thought against Harlan – um, Caden Reed really, really, really impressed me. I mean, he does a lot of games. You know, I've grown up with Caden, so I know how good he is. But I really thought he he was on the scene that game. He played extremely well at the high stage. Yeah, and I think that that's the biggest part is how cool that was is that, you know, going on the state level and being able to do that where, you know, maybe some teams from, from other parts of the state or regions don't normally get to see those guys play and then, you know, you see, you see what he gets to do on the big stage. I mean, heck, he had seven steals against Walt Verona and then backed it up with four steals against Harlan, a team that pretty much consists of about four guards that really spreads it out and has one big guy there in the middle. So, um, you know, Jordan McCall, he's, that kid's a heck of a player from Harlan. He's a volume scorer. Um, I think he ended up about 28 that night. And then Blake, I think, had 31 and Caden had 17. So just, a, you know, a, a great battle, two great games. And I think – that experience alone is going to really help Bracken County here down the stretch. They've got about seven or eight regular season games to go. And then, you know, once it gets to district tournament time, I think they'll be battle tested and ready for that moment, regardless of, of who the opponent's going to be. And, you know, I, I think their sights are obviously set on a district championship, but there's a team in Maysville that's, that's going to be in their way of that. Right. Whether it's the first round or, you know, finals or whatever, they're probably eventually going to have to go through Mason County. And you know what? I don't think that scares Bracken County one bit. Um, and maybe I'm wrong with saying this, but, you know, there used to be kind of a, a, a mystique, if you will, or kind of used to be some intimidation factor if you drew Mason County in the district. And, and rightfully so, because they earned that. I mean, but you know, Bracken, or Bracken, Augusta, and St. Pat, you can put those three schools together, not equal the size of Mason County. But in the past, if you look, you know, Mason or Mason County had lost like three districts, I think, to Augusta in a four-year time frame there. And I think it showed the other teams that, hey, these guys can be beat. You know, I think a lot of times when people drew Mason County, they were beat before the ball was ever tipped. I don't think Mason County has that edge anymore. And um, that's not a knock to Brian or their players. I just think the other schools now believe that they can beat them because they've seen it happen. No, you're right. I just think with Mason and Bracken, like Bracken actually has to, to beat them for me to believe it. I don't know. It's been since 1999. And I know we're, we're talking about some all-time Mason County teams in that stretch since, you know, the 2003, 2008 teams. Those runs, yeah, they were great. And I think it'd be a great matchup. You know, you just wonder, you know, who who can guard, you know, Terrell Henry down low. Um you know, Nate Mitchell and then the set of guards that Mason County will throw at both Blake and Caden to, to pressure them, kind of like what Blake and Caden are going to do on the other side of pressuring Mason County's guards. So I, I think it would be a great matchup if, you know, if it gets there. Um, but I just Well, you and you touched team. on it. You touched on it. 
I think you said the key there when you said the number of guards that Mason County can throw at Blake and Caden. Mason County obviously has an edge in the depth. Um, they can run multiple people at you. But, um, you know, you mentioned earlier I wanted to touch on when you said Caden had seven steals against Walton Verona. Um, you know, I've coached against Caden before, and one of the things I always said was, you know, put him in a screen situation where they switch – then try to take him to the post, you know, have a guard screen for a big, create that mismatch, you know, but Caden, you know, you think going in as a coach, oh, he's small. We can just post him and we can score. It, it's not that easy. That kid works his butt off on the post. He works his butt off defending the ball, off the ball. And it's not easy to throw that ball in there when he's in there because he fights and he's so tough. So um, he's def I think defense is probably the one area that he's improved on the most, and I've seen his defense change games. Yeah, I mean, he does a lot of stuff that I don't think people realize, like just how good of a player he is. And you know, I don't, I don't say this often, but he's he's quickly growing into one of my favorites, just to, based off all the intangible stuff that he does too. And I think he's he's a true leader too. Like he's really rallying his guys. And I mean, he's a freshman. You know, it's just crazy what he's doing this early in his career. And you know, he's got three more years, three more solid years ahead of him, too. Yeah, he's already playing like a veteran, and he's only played a couple of years at the high school level. And, you know, you mentioned his leadership. You know, I watched against Harlan. You know, you'd see him hold the ball and kind of direct traffic and kind of tell people where to be, what to run. And he does a great job facilitating that offense. And um, he's just going to continue getting better because I know in the summer those guys are pushed at the AAU level. I know – you know, Adam being their dad, I know he's going to push them to continue getting better and work on their game. So, but just one last congratulations for Bracken County. Um, I think they kind of injected some energy into that entire community last week. And it was good to see the crowd that they had and um, just the atmosphere there for them. And I'm glad they got to enjoy that. So hats off to them. Um, I saw this week where G GRC kind of completed their dominance of that district. They played Montgomery County and, um, I know Montgomery County is probably getting a little bit better from the beginning of the season till now, but still not a matchup for GRC. It was, you know, domination again and um, seems to be what GRC's done to most of their opponents this year. Yeah, I mean, their average margin of victory in the district alone is 40-plus points. I mean, they beat Montgomery by 46 on Friday and then Bourbon County by 44 on Tuesday, so – you know, they're obviously the class of that district. That's that's no shock. They're the class of the region. And then, you know, right now they're the number one team in the state. So it's kind of ho-hum for them. It looks like they had a tougher game today. Um, they beat Great Crossing 70-61. to 61. So a nine-point game for them. They hadn't played a single-digit game since December 29th against Ballard. So that tells you how much they've been kind of cruising along. And, you know, I think when we talked to him after they had won, you know, the the – tournament in Lexington where they beat, you know, Woodford County, North Laurel, Ballard, you know, you, you posed a good question, like, how do you challenge your guys? And I think he, you know, Coach Cook had talked about just challenges within games of, hey, let's hold this team to this. Let's get this X amount of rebound. Let's do, let's do, let's focus on certain things in games. And I mean, that's, that's gotta be fun as a, as a coach, just being able to do stuff like that kind of knowing what the outcome is going to be regardless of who you play, just certain areas that you want to focus on to get your team even better and prepared for postseason. And it's probably not out of the realm of possibility to say, but they may have uh, practices harder than some of the games they've played. Um, they have a very strong second group. Um, but I don't know if you saw the video clip or not, but um, 
do you see Sam Parrish's dunk against Montgomery County where he goes up and tomahawks a one hand and kind of gets hit in the air, kind of just like dunked on somebody? No, I, I didn't get to see that one. I, and I want to know if anybody listens. I'd like to know if Sam Parrish gets one dunk a game. Yeah. I see highlights all the time of him getting dunks, and it's just, you know, his athleticism amazes me on how explosive he is because he can't be six foot, can he? No, I think he's like 5'10", 5'11", if that. So, um, super athletic and super deep. So, it's, you know, I think it's it's theirs to win uh, in this region. And then um, the state, you know, I think looks like Louisville Mail's making a really strong push. They've beat Ballard twice and Cuffcast in the last few weeks. So, I think they've kind of cemented themselves as number two right now. And then how about Ashland, you know, getting a big win over Cuffcath yesterday um, as we kind of well, get a little bit. But Ashland, I, to me, is the third best team in the state right now. I can tell you firsthand how hard it is to play at Ashland. Yeah. <laughs> oh, listen, I don't know if those kids miss in that gym. Yeah. I watched Ethan Sellers put on one of the best. I mean, it was like Clay Thompson coming yeah. off curl screens, elevating, shooting without any dribbles. And um, – they, you know, and I told people, I thought we played a really good game at Ashland. I thought we played well. We ran our stuff. We got good looks. And we still got beat 20-some points. And that's just kind of a testament to how good of a program Coach Mays has at Ashland and what he's been able to do. But, you know, if the state tournament was played at Ashland, I'd probably put my money on them. They play a lot better at home, as most teams do, than on the road. But uh, still a big win anytime you knock off Cuff Cat. Yeah, absolutely. Good win for them. And they're going to be number three in my uh... – AP poll that I'll put out next or tomorrow. Um, moving on to the uh, 38th district, not much action this week. I know uh, Robertson <laughs> County lost a tough one at Rowan, um, a one-point game. Um, Josh Plosky had a real good game with 27. Um, I know Nicholas County, I think, played and maybe lost a fairly close one to uh, Mercer County, maybe 9 or 11, I think they played. But um, Harrison County kind of set the tone for the district um, when they beat Pendleton County by 20, 22 or 24, I think, uh, last night or maybe Friday night. So, um, you know, we we said that we thought Harrison County was the class of that district and, um, you know, it looked like they're well on their way to the one seed. Yeah, I mean, they've won, it uh, looks like, six of their last seven, the lone loss, a tight one to Bracken County in Brooksville. You know, they've got the leg up in the district. They're, they're 3-0 and in district play with still three more games to go since that district goes go home and home. So, looks like they got a big week ahead of them to where they can basically clinch the one seed. They play Nicholas on Tuesday and then Robertson on Friday. So, um, they win those two, then they would then clinch the number one seed. And then uh, as the way the standings are looking right now, Nicholas would be the four. So, they'd be looking at that matchup. And then, um, you know, Robertson and uh, – Pendleton there in the two three, uh, which you know that would be a tough matchup for both those schools. I know Robertson County handled Pendleton at home, but the district's in Falmouth this year, and mm-hmm. I think that's a rough gym to play, especially when they get their uh, student section there and they're cheering. And uh, you know, I know Coach Ellsburn does a really good job of um, getting the students there, buying them pizza, offering them pizza. And when those student sections are there, they kind of stand down on the floor. They're very rowdy, and they can impact the game. So um, that'll be a very tough two three matchup but could be a fun one to watch absolutely i think that's another one of those like we've talked about for weeks now just those two three matchups in, in district tournaments this year are going to be really good and i think there's going to be a lot of toss-ups to where you know you might pick one way and it, it's going to go the other way um i noticed this week and we talked about um 
And if you have any individual player accomplishments, because you saw the LA State, you saw those guys down there. But, uh, you know, we talked about Aiden Hamilton, one of the 10th region's finest players, going to play D1 baseball. Um, Scott had two athletes this week, and Cam Patterson and Luke Iden, who are both on the basketball team, they've committed to play football at Thomas Moore. So, once again, two athletes in the 10th who are multi-sport, you know, athletes. You know, I know Cam Patterson. I can't speak of Luke Iden. Um, as far as a basketball player, but I know Cam Patterson has potential. Um, a very big guy around the rim, you know, just an athlete. And um, congrats to those guys for getting to continue their uh, athletic and education careers at Thomas Moore. So um, hats off to them. Yeah, multi-sport athletes, man. You know, it's 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 uh, I don't know, maybe becoming less uh, frequent in these days. But I, I give props to kids that do that. And, I think I saw the stat last week. Seven of the eight quarterbacks that were still in the playoffs had all played multi-sports, whether it be, you know, football, basketball, and baseball, or a combination of, you know, two of the three. I mean, it, I, I just think it, you know, it helps you for the next level or whatever you do in life because it gives you those team bonding experiences. You know, you work different muscle groups in different sports and, you know, I just think it's a, it's a great experience for, for a kid growing up is playing on a team sport. And I wish they would um, – I wish more athletes would. You know, like, for example, Robertson, I don't really have to compete with any other sports because, we, you know, we didn't have football. But, like, at Bracken County, I would try to encourage all of my girls to play volleyball. A lot of the drills they did with footwork and, you know, agility and, you know, just hand-eye coordination and things like that, I thought could all be attributed to help with basketball. And, you know, Coach Wade Smith of Bracken was very good about working with me. And, you know, we shared a lot of athletes. I wish a lot more kids, you know, would play football. And, I, you know, I talked to some of their parents and they're like, um, I don't want them to get hurt or, you know, I don't want them to be injured. But, you know, there's injuries in basketball as well. And I, I wish I had the numbers or the stats, but, you know, no matter what sports you play, injury is always a possibility. But you can learn so much more about life, about sports, about discipline, about teamwork by playing all these different sports. I wish more more kids would take advantage of that or more parents would let them. I've had kids tell me my parents won't let me. Um, but, you know. I'm 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 very big advocate of multiple sports in high school, and I wish more kids would do it. Yeah, I mean it. Uh, you know it. Um, it's just I mean you nail the head nail on the head there. I mean I, I got nothing much to add to that other than you know what you had said, and I mean I I just think it's beneficial to you know throughout all aspects of life. I do know also speaking of individuals, Ethan Mulling, who is also a Thomas Moore commit for Calvary Christian, had a triple double against Dayton. 31 points, 12 rebounds, 10 assists. And, um, you know, we talked about the kid from Ryle earlier with a quadruple double. And um, I don't care who who you play for. I don't care who the opponent is. If you record a triple double at any level, I feel like it's, you know, it's a very good accomplishment. Or, you know, I've heard a lot of people say, well, so-and-so did it against so-and-so. Uh, you know, there's I know there's a lot of factors go into that, but you still got to play pretty well to put up, a triple double at any level. Yeah, I mean it showcases an all-around game too because it shows your unselfishness with ten assists, and then you know you're able to get yours with scoring, and then also rebounding. So you're basically determining all facets of the game. You know, scoring, rebounding, and passing, and that's that's a lot of the of the game these days. And if you think about it, thirty-one points and ten assists. If each of those assists were for two-point baskets, he's attributed to fifty-one of the team's total. And I think he yeah. followed up the next night against Portland Christian with. Um, 
36 points, eight rebounds, and six assists. So um, two very good games in a row for Ethan Mulling. And we've talked about Ethan Mulling and Luke Rui, how they are, you know, kind of a dynamic duo for Calvary. And I'm curious to see their production against, you know, Campbell County because, you know, like I said, Calvary wants to be on the scene and Calvary wants to match up with, you know, the 10th region's finest. They're going to have a chance to do that Tuesday. Yeah, they got a huge week, you know, Campbell on Tuesday and then Brossard on Thursday. So, I mean, they, they could still win the number one seed or, you know, they could end up with a three-way tie and get the number four seed. So that district, you know, is is still up in the air and looks like it's a big week um, for a couple districts across the region in terms of, you know, where, where that seeding is going to take place. And then um, just kind of uh, it sounds like the 39th district draw will be the following week. So not this week, but – looking like next week as the possibility for, for when the um, pills get pulled out of the bottle. And you know me. <laughs> I love it. I love the randomness of it. Um, I, know, I know you do. Um, just uh, – and I think a lot of it is, you know, and I've said this before, I think, you know, your mindset's determined by what school you coach at. But, you know, I think a lot of times I have that small school mindset because of, you know, I went to Augusta, then I've – Coach to Bracken and Robertson, who are both, you know, Class A schools. But um, with that being said, I saw where we got a little mention on um, Twitter this afternoon about some guy who uh, didn't catch your sarcasm um, with things overheard from the stands. And and I think it – correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was the ever-popular, you know, call it both ways. Yeah, I was just being sarcastic. Jason Frakes the, with the Louisville Courier-Journal – had made a comment on Twitter that, you know, that it was a 24-point game with three or four minutes left, and fans were acting like calls were life and death, uh, you know, the 24-point game in the fourth. And I responded with, call both ways, Jason, you know this. And then it was actually an official that responded to me, and he said, you really think the officials had a, a fact-deciding factor in a 24-point game? And, you know, I ended up telling him it was it was sarcasm, and, you know, he, he apologized. But I told him we have our podcast that we do where we – hear things in the stands. And I want to add to that because at Eastern Kentucky, man, the way that gym's kind of built, like it sits like kind of down in a bowl a little bit where the crowd is, you know, a little bit off the court. And then they're about, I don't know, four to six feet up where the, where the, you know, bleachers start going up in the seats and you can't hear anything in the crowd other than like maybe when like play stops and like you hear the one fan yelling, come on boys, let's go or something like that. But outside of that, when play's going on, you can't hear anything from the crowd and I absolutely love that because there's some things I hear sometimes with certain teams that it, it just it just keeps carrying on and going on. And it's just it's sometimes it just annoys you. And it's just like, all right, I've had enough. You know, you, the whole game, you, you can't just attack an official. You have to cheer on your team, root for root for certain aspects of the game. And just, you know, for crying out loud, let's let's let them call the game the way they call it. You know what? And, you know, and that's. It's disappointing to me because that you didn't get to hear some of the stuff being said because I'm sure there were some good ones. But, um, you know, the call of both ways is a popular one. And I remember the last time I heard it was at the field house during the uh, MCIT. Uh, a lady behind me said call of both ways. And I looked up and her team that she was rooting for only had one foul against them. And their team was in the bonus seven yeah. to one foul. And she was wanting to call it both ways. And um, but, you know, and I one thing I overheard recently too um and this is once again coming from fans and you know it amazes me how if you don't know the rules of basketball why you would yell anything but um 
a guy was dribbling the ball up the floor, being pressured, and they started immediately yelling, five seconds, five seconds, five seconds. And they yelled it repeatedly till the referee looked back at him and said, you get 10. <laughs> and I'm just like, I, if I didn't know a rule, that'd be like me going to a hockey game yelling at the refs. Yeah. I, I'm, but, you know, one thing I've noticed, too, on Twitter and, you know, as a coach, a referee never lost me a game or never won me a game. Um, however, you know, I've noticed that um, the referees that I follow get very sensitive on Twitter when the referees are being discussed at a basketball. It can be a Kentucky game. If somebody questions the officiating, they're starting to get very sensitive and very defensive. And But you, you know what? You know, they're human. They make mistakes. The same for me. But um, have you ever thought about a situation to where – you know, referees are held accountable. You know what I'm saying? As coach, the NBA, they do the last five minute review and then like the league will come out with, well, yeah, this was an error and that was an error, but they don't do anything. Like there's not like the getting fined or suspended or docked, but there, you know, like for example, we're like, let's say the, just for NFL example, the Bengals crew in the Raiders game, the NFL had said, yeah, though that crew will not officiate another game the rest of the postseason. So I guess maybe that's equivalent to a suspension. But at that point of the season, you're down to such small skeleton crews anyways, where maybe they weren't even going to do another game regardless. Well, I'm just saying, for example, you know, if you're a player and you react negatively, what does the referee do? You get a technical, right? The kid's penalized. The team's penalized. Um, I've been at a game where a referee physically flipped off a fan. Saw it happen with my own two eyes. Now, he doesn't referee any more of my games, but the next night I see him at other games. You know, and I know there's a shortage of referees, and I don't want to get off on a tangent because I will support most referees because I don't want to do their job. I think for the most part they do a remarkable job, and I will defend our officials in the 10th and 11th region most nights because I think we do have the best association. But um, I just often wondered why, and maybe they do and we just don't hear about it. Maybe they do get games pulled. I'm not sure, but um, I just noticed that, you know, now every time something goes wrong, and I think you said this on Twitter, you got to have somebody to blame. And the easy target there is the officials. Yeah, I mean, you, you nailed it on the head because they'll, they'll point at just one play in particular and not certain parts of the game where maybe you missed a couple free throws down the stretch or didn't go grab that rebound or that loose ball went the other way. I mean, people – ignore those facts and kind of want to go the lazy, obvious way of blaming an official on, on based off one call, you know? And honestly, I think a lot of our society is hurt because of that, because if you think about it now, um, nobody's ever really held accountable. You know, kids aren't really held accountable. If coaches hold you accountable, you need to thank them. But a lot of coaches don't anymore because of the drawback, the hell they catch from parents, administration, so, players, if you're listening and you have a coach that holds you accountable, send them a Christmas card next year and thank them. But um, enough on that because I could do a whole podcast on that. Um, anything else this week? Any other um, – you know, I know you mentioned Blake and Caden and what good games they had down at Richmond. Did they have an all-tournament team for the All-A, do you know? I they never did. saw anything. Yeah, they did. I know uh, Blake made it. Um, he uh... – he made the team. He had, um, you know, 63 points in two games, uh, shot 52%, and then um, had seven threes and 11 rebounds in the two games. So I think with where they were 
as far as the tournament. Um, only one player made it. I don't think you get two in until you make the semis. So, um, you know, Blake was the only one. But, I mean, obviously, if there was two, it would have been Caden as the other right. one. Right. So, well, congratulations to Blake. Um, I do know um, as the uh, president of the 10th Region Coaches Association, we have sent out nominations for the 10th Region Hall of Fame. So here within the next couple of weeks, we'll be able to announce the upcoming Hall of Fame class. Um, we're still, I think, nominations are due, you know, this coming week. Some schools have already sent in. They can either nominate a player, a coach, or a contributor. So um, right before district tournament play, we'll probably be announcing a new Hall of Fame class in the 10th Region. So that's can always an exciting time. Can I ask you something on that? Yeah. Do you think they're inducting too many these days? Um, yes. Um, I honestly didn't think we was going to do a class this year because I want the 2019 class or 20 class. One of them didn't get a banquet to be recognized for their honors. And I thought we should have a banquet to honor those guys to give them the recognition they deserve. Um, coach bars kind of above me and he wanted to induct a new class. And, uh, so we'll induct a new class this year. Then we'll honor both classes at some type of ceremony. But, you know, we honor every year we do five players, I think two coaches and two contributors. And what I've heard from other coaches is they're kind of running out of people to nominate. And I don't want the Hall of Fame to get to the point to where it's watered down. To me, you know, and I've said this before, Hall of Fame to me is, you know, an elite player who makes their teammates better, you know, you know, things like that. Um, I got inducted into the Hall of Fame as a player. My numbers were good, but I never played in a regional tournament um, at Augusta, so I don't feel like I'm Hall of Fame worthy. Yeah, 1,500 high school points, um, first winning season at Augusta in 20-some years, so we did win some. But I think in order to be Hall of Fame, you've got to take that to the next level. Um, I don't want the Hall of Fame to get to the point to where it becomes a popularity contest and you vote for, you know, I'd always tried to vote for who I felt deserved it. Um, but, you know, when you elect five players every year, and, you know, Kerry Bard does a good job, too, of reaching out to, like, Fleming County, Bath yep. County, uh, Estill County, some of these teams that were in the 10th region at one point in time. So, um, but, yeah, I mean, when you do five players, two coaches, and two contributors every year, you get to the point to where, you, you know, you don't really have anybody to nominate. And I know I've had a couple of coaches already email me back and say, you know, we're not going to be nominating anybody this year. We don't feel like we have anybody ready. Well, I think that's fair. You know, five to me seems a lot, but. Well, and also you, like you have to be out of high school. Hold on. You have to be out of high school five years okay. before you can be nominated. So, um, you know, we've had a lot of good players here recently that can't be nominated, you know, until, you know, they've been out of high school for five years. That's what I was wondering, too, because I just listened to, you know, just the outside talk on it. And some people kind of feel maybe it's starting to lean that way. And then maybe some others say it, it's, it favors the smaller schools. Like they, they feel like that they get more people in compared to maybe some other schools. But, I mean, when you look at the region, eight of the 16 teams in the region right now are considered Class A schools. So half of the region is smaller schools, you know. Um. I don't know if I agree with that or I don't know. I mean, that may be the case, you know, but, you know, all the coaches in the region vote on this. The ones who, you know, even if you don't nominate somebody, you still get the opportunity to vote. Um, so it's got to be that, you know, some of these 
you know, and each player has a profile and a bio that we send. You know, when you nominate that person, you can't just give us a name. You got to tell us why you think what stats back that up. And um, but I'll tell you what happens a lot of times. We may only get one or two coaches nominated each year. We may only get one or two contributors nominated each year. So they're automatically going to go in if they get one vote because you vote for two contributors. Now, you may only vote for one. You know, I've done that before where there's been two nominated. I think, uh, I don't know if this one here in my mind is what I consider Hall of Fame. So I just only go vote for one. You know, you can vote up to two, but you don't have to. But um, I agree with you. I think the more people you nominate, it does get watered down. But I don't agree with the fact that it benefits the smaller schools. I mean, that was just something that, that was I think that I think whoever says that's knocking smaller schools that they think of players at small schools can't be Hall of Fame worthy. Yeah, and that's not that, the case. I mean, I know they may not think that, but that's how I take that when somebody says that. Yeah, I mean, that wasn't my sentiment. It was just just some stuff that I hear about it when I see the nomination list and, you know, who gets inducted annually. Um, you know, and I, I think as far as, as that goes, I, I think it's a great thing that the 10th region does it. And the way they do it usually is a, a first-class way. They, you know, bring the guys or bring whoever out, team out. I think it's usually either in between the semifinal games of the 10th region tournament and then they get that banquet, like you said, which is usually, I'm sure, a, a really good time, especially when you got, you know, the doctor of sports and Puck and those guys helping run it down there at Paris. Yeah, and I want to say this because I get emails every year from parents, grandparents, wanting to know why so-and-so hasn't been nominated or wanting to know why so-and-so hasn't been inducted. It happens every year, and it's usually people, and you know, and I have to tell them, so if you're listening and you want to know how to get someone nominated, the school that they graduated from has to nominate that person. I can't just say, mommy says so-and-so is Hall of Fame worthy, so we're going to put them in the Hall of Fame. Um, we do have a veterans committee, um, and I know Carrie Barr leads that up. I know Coach Mike Wrights, I think, is on the veterans committee, and a couple other people who have been around the 10th region for a really, really long time. Now, they pick one or two from the veterans committee. Those people automatically get in. They're not voted on. And, and I think some of the people, a lot of those, they were older uh, people, you know, way back before the 10th region ever probably acknowledged coaches, players, or contributors. So a lot of times, and I feel like that's that's a good thing to have because I feel like those those people are, deserve to be recognized as well. Here's uh, one more for you. I know we're probably getting close to ending here, but three weeks in the season left. So um, I think it's time to start heating up the region player of the year talks and, you know, who might make the first, second, or third team. I mean, that's uh, – I mean, not necessarily we have to dive into it today, but I, I think that's something that we maybe need to start considering too is – I mean, I put a poll out um, through our Ledger Independent account on on who the player of the year would be. And for all the way to the final hour, I mean, the four players were within like three to five percentage points. And then I think Clark County Twitter got a hold of it. <laughs> and I, I saw where uh, Smoke Signals yeah. retweeted and said, vote. Now, don't and get me wrong. I felt, like, <laughs> I felt like the four you uh, put were the top four. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, it's hard to go against Drone Morton and what he's done just for the simple fact that Clark County's ranked number one in the state and he's probably the best player on the best team in the state. So, you know, I see why he's a strong candidate. What Blake Reed's done for Bracken County, um, winning the All-A for the first time since 98. Um, I see, um, 
Justin Becker. I, I think a lot of people counted Robertson County out um, this year after graduating the large class. And, and a lot of people won't see exactly what all Justin does, but Justin's made those teammates of his believe, you know, that they can be good, they can be successful, they can win games. And the belief they've in turn um, kind of given back to Justin and how they believe in him and what all he can do. Um, he's MVP in my eyes just because I know what kind of kid he is and how special he is to Robertson County. And um, who's the fourth one? Terrell Henry. Oh, Terrell Henry. Um, once again, got Mace County near the top of the region. Um, that kid – Every time I watch him, I become more and more impressed with what he does and just how efficient he is around the rim. He makes tough shots. He finishes tough shots. He's just – he kind of does everything for Mason County, and he'll put up a quiet 20-25 on 10 of 11 shooting. You know, a great player, and I think um, if Mason County is going to make a run at the regional title, he's going to be the reason. Yeah, I mean, it's a great debate, and then um, I think what adds to it is if you can only put five players on the first team, then who's that fifth guy? Is it Eric Davey or is it Aiden Hamilton? Because I think those two are right there in the running for it, but maybe just a, a little bit like an inch or two below those top four. But Well, and what we can do is, you know, we we run this podcast. We can do it however you want to do it, you know, but I know, um, of course, the 10th region – you know, we'll be starting to put out our first, second, and third team, you know, that the coaches vote on. We'll be getting yeah. nominations for that. And every year you put those out, um, you always get, you know, I catch so much hell for that as if I'm the ones that decide that. But since I'm the ones that put it out, I'm the one that, you know, catches the flack. It's kind of like a server at a restaurant. They don't cook your food, but when it comes back not done, they catch the hell. But um, – <laughs> You know, there's a lot of people, you know, when I think of fifth players, you know, <sighs> look at Montgomery County, man. I mean, Tanner Walton, Trent Edwards. Um, uh, Clark, Clark County. Yeah, I was talking about like a fifth player. You know, you go through. They, uh, I think Riley Masson's had a really good year. I think his injury hurt him, you know, as far as games played, you know, but he's probably close to pushing a double-double. Um, it's – I'm sure Harrison County, Caden Custard, you know, does a little bit of everything for them. So I will, and I've said this, I think, in the pre preview I did. The 10th region is very strong when it comes to individual players. There'll be guys on the third team that you may be able to make a case for the first team. Mm -hmm. And yeah. and I tell you what happens, you know, when as the president, you know, I receive all votes and I tally all those up. And what generally happens is when you got a team like Clark County and they nominate four or five guys. Coaches aren't going to vote for all five of them. Right. You know, they're going to try to spread it out, you know. They're going to get taken, and they won't get as many. But, I mean, and it's so hard to gauge that team because, all right, you take this guy off that team, they're still probably just as good. Or you take that guy off the team, what are they missing out on? But, you know, and in that case, it's an individual award. So, maybe they're just the best team, but it's going to be hard for them, like you said, to get – I think individual votes to get them all up there. Cause I think and, count wise, you can put three or four of them on the first team, but. And I mean. honestly, you know, in some cases, in some instances, um, I've seen it where I thought a team's, you know, you could put their first five on the first team or you could put their first five on the first and second team. And um, it's just, you know, we only allow you to nominate so many. 
And it's tough for coaches who's got five or six players like Clark County on who you even nominate. You know, there may be people they don't nominate just because of who they are that would be on the third team. And that's always, you know, the flack we catch. Um, well, so-and-so's on so-and-so's team, and they're a lot better than so-and-so. Well, they, the general public doesn't know who gets nominated. That's not public unless the coach tells them because I don't share it with anybody. But, you know, there's a lot of kids I hope get some kind of recognition. My heart really goes out to like a Chase Walton who's had a really good year, and I hope maybe he can get some votes for honorable mention or, you know, even like a Wyatt Clark who I think's had a really good year. A lot of guys that don't see Nicholas County play, I think he's possibly a third-team all-region type player. And, you know, even like a Braden kid, well, Pendleton, who's had a solid season. But, you know, the 10th region is so strong, everybody can't be – first team where everybody can't be 13. The way I do it, I, I'll most years I'll stick my neck out and do a team and know that the replies and comments are coming. But I put five on each team, first, second, and third, and then I give 10 honorable mention spots. That I think, you know, and I, I at least try to get one player on the honorable mention list from, from each team or, you know, make sure each team has a representative because there's 16 teams, 25 kids. I mean, to me, I think that's kind of fair to, to kind of spread it out that way to where – Maybe, you know, someone doesn't know, like you said, who a Chase Walton is because St. Pat, you know, they're, they're maybe buried at the bottom of the standings. But yet you, you want to recognize a kid that's, you know, he scored a thousand points in his career. He gets a double-double nightly and, you know, he helps compete for that team. And I don't think you can ignore that. Right. And, you know, what a lot of people don't realize, too, is, you know, let's say you mentioned somebody like a Chase Walton. Um, 37 district, I've never seen the kid play. Very, very, very good chance he doesn't rec- receive any votes from them. And the same thing goes with uh, Calvary's Ethan Mulling and Luke Rui. Those two kids are ballers. They can play. But where they don't play a lot of high-level teams in the 10th or even a lot of teams in the 10th, you know, there may be – you know, those guys could be 13 performers, but they not receive the votes just because nobody's seen them play. So, you know, and I will say this, you know, a lot of that, you know, from when I see the votes, it does seem like it's a popularity contest. A lot of districts stick together. Um, but, you know, for the most part, you know, the first team is, in my eyes is usually generally pretty accurate because I think the uh, I think the coaches do a good job of voting who they feel should be there. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I just I think it's something we should maybe consider here in the next couple of weeks. With- oh, absolutely. I'll look forward to that and I'll go ahead and start thinking about it. But uh, hey, man, another good week. Once again, appreciate Eric Russell and. I really enjoy hearing him talk and talk about how he runs his program and, you know, telling us tonight that if they'll just buy in, his system works. And I think there's proof and evidence of that. So, once again, hats off to Eric Russell. I want to give a big who day to all the Cincinnati Beagle fans out there. And once again, stay tuned and stay hot.